0: Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service.
1: The captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander and others of the high priest's family they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how he was healed then know this you and all the people of Israel it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Just a spring chicken. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant our father David why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people the people of Israel, in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly.
0: Just so you know, I'm kicking off the sermon tonight but then uh, Brie and John and Chris are also going to have a hand in that, so you can look forward to that. If you get bored of my voice, know that a different one's coming. It's all good. How about I pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible story of uh, Peter and John, and we pray now, as we consider it, that you use it to encourage us, just as you encouraged them 2,000 years ago, that you might embolden us for your mission in this world, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we introduced this theme to you at the end of last year on our Vision Day in November and when I did that I invited you to consider three questions over summer. Perhaps you've been considering them, perhaps you forgot about those three questions. There they are on the screen for you and they're questions of our heart that I want to invite you to to continue to consider over this year. I think they're questions that really point us to consider where our heart's at. But today, as Bree said earlier, we want to think about how we grow in boldness. And what we learn from this incredible story in Acts chapter 4 is this, boldness comes not by skill but by the spirit. One of our biggest fears, or at least one of my biggest fears in being bold, is that we just don't have the skill. We're like, well, I want to do that, but I can't. I don't know what to do. But the good news from Acts 4 is that God's spirit enables us, emboldens us to be on his mission. And in this story, we discover at the start of chapter 4 that the religious leaders of the day come to Peter and John Because they're disturbed and you've got to wonder what they're disturbed at. The day before Peter and John had healed this man who had been lame since birth, but I don't think they were disturbed at the healing itself. What they were disturbed about is that Peter and John were teaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. And you've got to think 2,000 years ago, that was incredibly, I mean it's always revolutionary teaching that Jesus rose from the dead. But back then it was so new and fresh and revolutionary and challenged the powers of the day and that's why they were disturbed. Peter and John were teaching Jesus was alive. Peter and John were teaching Jesus had power and the religious leaders didn't quite know what to do with that. And so they throw Peter and John in jail while they try and work out what to do with them. Now, just as a note so that we don't miss it later, I think it's incredible that by the end of this day with such antagonism coming towards Peter and John and the early Christians, by the end of the day, did you notice that the number of people who believed was over 5,000? Isn't that incredible? God is powerful. Peter and John are put on trial and they're asked by what power or name did you do this? Now, it's an intriguing question because Peter and John have been quite open about the power that they saw was involved in healing this man. They've been declaring that it was the power of Jesus. People have been praising God because of that. So what's going on here? Why are they asking this question? Are they genuinely curious? Are they confirming a suspicion? Are they laying a trap? Well regardless, Peter answers them. And just remember, this is the same Peter who only weeks before, literally weeks before, denied Jesus, denied knowing Jesus the night before Jesus' crucifixion. So Peter's put on the spot and he's asked, by what power, by what name are you doing this? And he could have just simply said Jesus. And he does say that, but he says more. Look at what he says. He says... Uh, If you want to know about the act of kindness to this lame man, know that it's because of Jesus, who you crucified, but God raised from the dead. It's because of him that this lame man is healed. And again, uh, he could have stopped there. I mean, that was pretty bold in itself, wasn't it? He could have stopped there, but he didn't. He went further again. And he said to them that this same Jesus, It is only by his name. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Talk about being bold. No other name. That is, you guys who are now starting to have a go at us and wanting us to suppress the truth about Jesus, know this, you can't be saved unless you turn to him. That's bold. That's bold. No other name by which humans can be saved. Do we believe that? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts as you look around the world that you live in, the people that you go to school or university with, the people that you work with, your family and friends, your neighbours who don't know Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way that they can be saved? See, so I think sometimes we get that in our head, right? We, we we know that that's true. But the way we operate is different. The way we operate is often to look at the way people are going about their lives and go, no, oh, they're doing pretty good. They seem to be fine without Jesus. Life seems to be going along pretty smoothly for them. And so our functional belief is actually that they can be saved by some other way. That's not what Peter says. It's not what scripture tells us about those who don't know Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which humans can be saved. Salvation is only found in Jesus. Peter was bold. Peter and John were bold in speaking about Jesus. And they were smart enough to know where this was headed. They knew what was going to come to them if they kept doing this. And so we've got to ask, well, what was going on? What, why did they do this? Particularly when we discover that in verse 14 that they're unschooled, ordinary men, Peter and John. So why, what's going on here? Well, we already know that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and obviously that had a huge impact. The big thing that changed for him from five weeks ago was that jesus he'd seen Jesus risen from the dead and he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has enormous power. But there's something else that the religious leaders observed. Did you see it in the same verse? They noticed that these unschooled ordinary men had been with Jesus. Jesus was continuing to transform them. Boldness comes not by skill, but by the Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus enables boldness. So, even though Peter spoke full of the Spirit, we notice that it didn't change the human response to Peter and John. Peter was Spirit-filled, but the Spirit doesn't always achieve what perhaps we think the Spirit should achieve. But that's no need to doubt the Spirit's power or effectiveness. The Spirit is at work, even if he's doing things that are different to what you and I might think. The priests and the Sadducees demand that Peter and John no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Sometimes I think, we think, that we're amongst the first Christians to have culture pressing against us. But here, even 2,000 years ago, those first Christians, as the church was just starting and growing, had cultural forces pressing against them, demanding them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. If we think we're the first to experience this, we are so mistaken. In fact, the reality is that for Christians across the last 2,000 years, most of them, most of them have lived in cultures that want to suppress the name of Jesus. That's normal for Christian living. Well, despite the request for silence, despite the threats that come to Peter and John, despite the potential for discouragement, Peter and John say that they cannot help speaking about what they have seen and heard. Their hearts are so full with what Jesus is doing that they can't help but speak. It's not an option for the early believers to keep quiet about Jesus. And even though they had their backs against the wall, they wouldn't be discouraged. They knew that boldness comes not by skill, but by the spirit. And their friends agreed when they were released and went back to their friends. And they could all see that things weren't panning out too well from a human perspective. They wouldn't be discouraged. Instead, what did they do? They prayed. They got together and prayed, perhaps out of desperation. But listen to some of their prayer and we see what they recognised. First of all, as they pray, they recognise God as sovereign. And in recognising that, they see that he has more power than the leaders that are trying to silence them. God is sovereign, not human forces. They recognise in their prayer the fulfilment of prophecy, They recognise in doing that that God is not surprised by this turn of events about Jesus because it's been prophesied about. And then thirdly, they recognise that God's redemptive work has happened through uh, evil acts of humanity. God is not restricted or limited or squashed by evil humanity. He can work even through that. So they pray to speak God's word with boldness that more might be healed, that more might see the power of Jesus at work. And what happened? Well, we're told that when they'd finished praying, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, boldly, with their backs to the wall, with worldly power against them and telling them not to. The Holy Spirit emboldens them for mission. Boldness comes not by skill, but by the Spirit. The Spirit emboldens us for mission. Bree, John and Chris are going to help us consider how he does that, how the Spirit emboldens us through prayer and by encouraging us in a hostile culture as we lean into Jesus. Thanks, Bree.
2: In our passage today, we see the disciples come together to pray to God, and they pray this amazing prayer of adoration to God, praying using a psalm, and courageously praying that God would give them the boldness to speak about Jesus. And we see God immediately answering their prayer, filling them with the Spirit so that they can speak with boldness. What an encouragement for us to pray courageously, for us to pray boldly. Now, When I think of praying boldly, I think of a story I heard about D.L. Moody. Now, if you haven't heard of him, Moody was an evangelist and preacher in the U.S. in the 19th century. And he would draw crowds of tens of thousands of people to hear him speak. But much more remarkable than his preaching was his prayer life. Moody carried around with him a list of 100 friends who didn't know Jesus. And he prayed through that list of 100 people every day. Each time one of his friends came to know Jesus, he would cross their name off the list. Through his life, he continued to pray each day for those 100 people. And by the time he died, 96 of them had come to faith in Jesus. And then, at his funeral, the final four people put their faith in Jesus. What a testament to the power of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but 100 people feels like a lot. I often find it hard to be disciplined in prayer. And as much as I believe and trust in the power of prayer, it sometimes doesn't come out in my day-to-day habits. But imagine just for a minute what God could do if everyone at St. Matt's committed to praying each day for just three of their friends who don't know Jesus. With the 500 or so members of St. Matt's, that could be 1,500 people being prayed for each day. We know that God is compassionate and gracious. We know that God loves to show mercy and draw new people into his kingdom. And we know that God is powerful to change even the hardest of hearts. So imagine what God could do if we bring all of those people before him in prayer. So this year, in our year of boldness, let's boldly pray for God to draw our friends our family, our neighbourhoods and networks into his kingdom and into his family. Let's each commit to praying for three people who don't yet know Jesus, for we know that God is powerful to answer. To help us do that, you will have found a little bookmark on your chair as you came in. And these are for you to take home and to put in your Bible, and it has a space on it for you to write down the names of three people that you're committing to pray for this year. There's also some suggested prayer points that you can pray for them, as well as our BOLD acronym on the back. So this year, let's be people who boldly pray. I'm going to pass over to John now.
3: Thanks, Brie. And as we pray, sometimes we feel like we're in a bit of a hostile culture, don't we? Maybe at times you've even thought... You know, maybe our culture is too far gone. There is no way that our friends and family can trust in our Jesus. The cultural edict of our time is similar to that of what we saw in Acts 4, in verse 17. Stop this thing from spreading any further among the people. Church attendance, Christian affiliation, they're in decline, and secularism, living in this world, that's what it means... Is the culture we live in. And it feels a little bit like a two-headed monster that just keeps growing and it's threatening the church. Right? Mark Sayers, uh, in a po- podcast, asked this, I think, very thought-provoking question. What if secularism and post-Christianity culture is far weaker than we realized? What if the big bad wolf that we're so afraid of just is not that bad? You see, culture freaks us out a little bit as Christians. But we need to shift our view, turning our view from the big bad wolf of secularism towards the good shepherd, Jesus. And the powerful shepherd that he is. And Peter and John in Acts 4, they knew that Jesus was more powerful than the culture around them. The chief priests and the rulers, they didn't like what they were saying, and so they schemed. To stop this thing, the good news about Jesus, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this, in this name. It seems like the good news of Jesus was being trampled. But that didn't stop them. They kept going. Now, there's this guy named James Burns, and he wrote this book on the revivals of history. And this is my summary of what he says. He says, when the tide goes out, it's coming back with power. And it might feel like the tide is going out of Christianity, that you feel like it's getting smaller and smaller. But just like a tsunami, as the waters recede and they come back, our God is far more powerful than our culture. I want to give you one example that James Burns points to. It's from the 18th century. Uh, a guy named Jonathan Edwards looked out at his young adult congregation and he saw people who were delaying adulthood. They, they weren't growing up. They were people who were sleeping around and instead of getting married, uh, that was what they were doing. And he, and he wrote about this. And the elders in, church, in the church said, the youth have gone. There's no hope for them anymore. They can't trust in our Jesus. That's what the elders were saying. But God went on to use Jonathan Edwards in that place in Northampton to lead a revival where hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus. You might feel like Christianity is in decline. You might feel like the, that your friends, that you've got far less friends and family that trust in Jesus now. You might feel like that the tide is going out. You might feel like culture, the culture around us is threatening our church. But when the tide goes out, it's coming back with power. And Jesus, our good shepherd, is far more powerful than culture. So turn your view from looking at the big bad wolf of culture towards our good and powerful shepherd, Jesus. He is building his kingdom and nothing can stop it.
4: Bold. I really can't decide if I love that word or I hate it by this point. Unfortunately, we're only just starting the year. Because on the one hand, Jesus is the best thing I know. Jesus is the best person I know. He gives me a hope and a peace and a joy that this world cannot touch. But on the other hand, boldness just, just, just does not come naturally to me at all. So how do we grow in boldness? How do we overcome the fear, the doubt, the timidity, the insecurity? John's actually already pointed us to it in Acts 4 verse 13. When the religious rulers saw the courage of Peter and John and realized the two of them had no training to help them act like this, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were courageous because they'd been with Jesus. And if we want to be courageous, if we want to be bold, then we need to be with Jesus too. When I get busy or stressed out or even just distracted, it's too easy for me to let this gap start to grow between me and Jesus. I can get into these phases where I'm I'm just not seeking Him. I'm not focused on him. I'm not talking to him. I'm not leaning on him. And I've noticed something at these times. When I let there be this little gap between me and Jesus, that's all the gap my doubts need to come racing in. And I begin to wonder, does anyone really want to hear about Jesus? Is God really going to use me? Does God really want to save people in this generation? When I let there be that little gap between me and Jesus, along comes the fear. What if they laugh at me? What if I offend them? What if I make them even less interested in Jesus? When I let that gap emerge between me and Jesus, along comes the insecurity. I'm not quick enough. I don't pray enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not bold enough. But I've noticed something else too. When I lean into Jesus, when I seek Him, talk to Him, lean on Him, the fear and the doubts start to lose their strength. So I doubt less when I've been leaning on Jesus. I fear less when I've been leaning on Jesus. I hold back less when I've been leaning on Jesus. I'm bolder when I lean on Jesus. Because boldness comes not by skill, but by the Spirit of Jesus, our King, who wants to help us. I heard a quote once that I love. It was actually by a basketball coach, but just roll with it. Everyone overestimates what they can achieve in a day or a week, but underestimates what they can achieve in a month or a year. It's pretty wise, right? So let me stress, we're not expecting Our church just be transformed overnight. But this year, as we lean on Jesus, lean into Jesus together, as we pray together, what might happen? As we focus on some very doable habits together that make being bold a bit less overwhelming, being curious opening up about our faith, linking people in, doing life together. What might God do? Everyone overestimates what they can achieve in a day or a week, but underestimates what they can do in a month or a year. But let's especially not underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do in us and through us and for us this year. I can't wait to see what our church looks like in 12 months. And I'm so excited. We are so excited to be on this journey with you together. Let's pray. Lord God, not for the first time, and definitely not for the last time, but we pray again. Please make us bold for Jesus. Oh God, we pray that you would do mighty things this year and bring many people to know Jesus too. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6 pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, a deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.